So I'm glad you've decided to come to Bayshore today. I believe you're in for a treat as my good friend, Reverend Joe Hamlin, is about to speak and deliver God's Word. So why don't you help me welcome Joe and give him a good Bayshore welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I wouldn't even have known there was a video if I hadn't went and got my hair cut from Jake yesterday and he showed me the video. So that was the only way I knew. But uh, good morning. It's good to be here. Um, it's an honor to uh, be back again. It feels like it wasn't that long ago. I don't know how long ago it was, but it feels like I was just here not too long ago. But uh, Pastor Tony, after I'd already prepared my message, uh, Pastor Tony told me like four days ago, like, hey, just so you know, um, we've been speaking on believing. Um, but I believe this actually carries on into um, exactly what you've already been discussing. I don't know what part of believing he um, has been hitting on, but uh, today I want to talk about a big question that I feel that Jesus is asking his body today, a question that Jesus is asking us, and, and, and really that's something we have to ask ourselves is, do we love Jesus? So that's the title of the message, Do You Love Jesus? And, uh, you know, you have to believe in the Lord to be saved, but how many know that it doesn't stop there? There's, there's more than believing because it says that it's good that you believe in God, but the demons believe in God and they tremble and we know that demons won't go into heaven. So believing alone isn't necessarily what gets you to heaven. There comes a step on our part where we have to turn to Jesus and we have to actually love him. And so I'm going to read out of John 21, starting at verse 15. It says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is after Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's already been crucified. And he stops by uh, to sit down and have a meal um, with uh, Peter and some, some more of the disciples as they were out fishing going on with their life. They didn't realize. Uh, they thought they had lost the, the battle because Jesus had been killed and the kingdom did not come back. So Jesus shows up onto the scene. And he says, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. And again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. And a third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that has come forth, God. We thank you for your spirit that's here at Bayshore Church this morning. We thank you that Jesus, you came and not only died for us, but you rose from the dead to set us free, God. So we pray that that freedom would work in our lives today, God. Give us a greater understanding of your love. Give, give us a greater revelation of your power, God. Give us a greater revelation of the love you have for us that helps us to walk in your fullness. Let us see you, God. Open our eyes and ears that we can hear what it is you're saying this morning. And guide us into fullness so that we can walk in your power, Jesus, that we can walk in your freedom. We no longer have to be bound. And so I just want to ask you to put your hand on your heart real fast and just pray, dear God, show me what you want to show me. Speak to my heart this morning. Say what I need to hear so that I can love you and walk in your fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. So if Jesus knows everything, he's the son of God. 
He's the son of man. He is the creator of the universe. He knows everything. Why would he ask Peter three times, do you love me? And so if he would ask Peter, who walked with Jesus day in and day out for over three years, if he loves him, do you love me? Why wouldn't he ask us this today, 2,000 years later, almost 2,000 years later? Because Jesus knew that he had to get to the heart. He had to get to the root of some of the issues that was going on inside of Peter. And so actually, this, this, uh, this dialogue between Jesus and Peter is actually a lot deeper than the English language can actually comprehend. And those of you that uh, are aware or study some of the original languages, Hebrew and Greek, understand that Greek has a lot more words in their language than we do in the American language. So right here... When Jesus begins to ask Peter if he loves him, he, he uses two different words. Jesus says, in the Greek, it's agapo, agapao. And he says, do you agapao me, Peter? And Peter responds, I phylos you. And he says, Peter, do you agapao me? And Peter says, you know that I phylo you. And, he, and then the third time, Jesus says, do you phileo me? And Peter says, you know that I phileo you. So this whole time that Jesus is asking a question, he's basically saying, Peter, do you love me? And, G or, and Peter's response is, instead of, yes, Lord, I love you wholeheartedly, yes, I consider you. And so I want to dig into this a little bit and try to look at what was Jesus getting at and what was his dialogue with Peter, what did it really mean? And like I said, G the first time, Agapau was the word, it comes from agape, one of the phrases agape, but agapau, it actually means to actively do what the Lord prefers. It's a cultivated affection which involves choice and selection. It's something that is cultivated in the heart of man. It's something that, an affection that grows inside of us where we actively choose what the Lord prefers. But Peter's response was not, I agapau you. It was I phileo you, which is an affectionate friendship, check this out, characterized by tender, heartfelt consideration. In other words, careful thought, usually over a period of time. Jesus is saying, do you prefer everything of me? Do you do everything that is in my preference, Peter? And he's saying, uh, actually, I consider you. I'm not wholeheartedly into you. So agapao actually means like I am infectiously in love with you, Jesus, and I do whatever you want because I love you this much. And Peter's saying, no, that's not me. He's like, I do consider you, Lord. I think about you in my day-to-day -day life. Um, I'm doing some things. Sunday morning, I think about you. The Sabbath, I think about you when I go in. But I can't say that I actually choose to do what you prefer. Peter, Jesus is trying to bring Peter into a deeper level of understanding of his love, trying to speak into Peter's heart and let Peter grasp it because something Peter has not grasped as he was walking with Jesus. And I think that's the question that the Lord would ask us today. I think that's the question that he's asking his body. I think that's the question he's asking the bride that's supposed to be made spotless and holy without blemish awaiting him to come back is do you love me? Do you agapow me? Do you actively choose to do what I prefer? Or do you just phileo me? Am I just like a good consideration in your life? Am I just 
um, an addition to your life? Am I just an accessory to your life where I consider you in most things, but I have these things in my life over here, my relationships, that I don't consider you in? I consider you over here on Sunday morning, but come Monday morning when I get to work, I don't really consider you, honestly. I don't really love you that deep. And the distinction between agapao and phileo denotes, agapao denotes a love founded in admiration or pleasurable contemplation. It's basically of the heart. Phileo denotes an inclination prompted by sense or emotion. It's basically of the mind. So Peter's saying, I love you with my mind, but not my heart. Jesus is saying, I want your heart. I want you to love me with your heart where you do not have to question if you love me. Your actions don't make other people question if you love me. Not just what you say, not just when you sense some emotions on Sunday morning or you sense some emotions at a conference or you sense some emotions at some big revival, but do you love me out of your heart where everything inside of you says, I actively choose to do what you prefer, Jesus? Every step of my life, I actively choose to do what you, what you prefer. This love is a progressive love. And so uh, you've been talking about believing. Pastor Tony's been talking about believing. If you believe in the heart, believe in, believe in the Lord, you shall be saved. Well, this believe is not a past participle that is a one-time thing. It's actually a present tense verb. It actually means that if it was actually pronounced correctly in correct grammar, it would be, if you keep on believing in the Lord, you shall be saved. It's not, I checked that off my list 25, 30 years ago, or I checked that off my list three days ago. You have to actively believe every morning. This believe is an ongoing belief. It's the same thing as love. It's not, I loved Jesus one time. It's I love him every single day of my life, which if I love him every single day of my life, I will follow his commands. I will follow his instructions. I, my love for Jesus would look more in 2019 than it did in 2018. My belief in Jesus would look more in 2019 than it did in 2018. Does your love for Jesus look more today than it did in 2015? Does your belief in Jesus look more today than it did in 2015? Are you actively seeking out God and his plan for your life and following after his commands more in 2019 at the beginning than you did in 2015? It's an ongoing progressive love, and we see this when Jesus says, okay, now go tend my lambs. He says, go feed my lambs. He says, nourish the little ones. Jesus' believers are, we're sheep, we're the sheep, he's our shepherd. So he says, now go feed my lambs. Then, then Peter the second time says, yes, I love you. Then he says, now go tend to my sheep. Go protect my sheep, the older ones, protect them. Then the third time he says, now nourish my sheep, the older ones. It's a continual progression of going higher and higher, taking care of more and more. John 14, 15 it says, if you love me, you guys know the rest, you will keep my commands. Now, just to be clear, it's easy for people to go, oh, well, I keep the Ten Commandments. But Jesus is not referring to the Ten Commandments. He's literally saying, if you love me, you will keep my instructions. And we see this in Matthew 22, where it says, when they ask Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? I think they were looking at the Ten 
Because back then, you know, they didn't have the Bible. When they're talking to Jesus, they didn't have the Bible back then. All they had was the book, the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Or, yeah, the first five books. Moses' law. What is the greatest commandment? Jesus. And he says, love the Lord with all your heart, all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Love there again, meaning actively doing what the Lord prefers. And sometimes we skim right through that verse. We, we talk really fast, and it's just like, yeah, I love the Lord with all your heart, soul, and mind. But it's actually actively preferring to do what the Lord prefers, actually doing, actively doing what the Lord prefers, which involves an idea of prompt obedience. He says heart, mind, and soul being very distinct that he's saying every part of your being. In the original language, the heart means the effective center of our being, the desire producer that makes us tick is the thing that creates desire in you your heart the thing that gets desire is it actively doing what the lord prefers or is your desire pleaser your desire maker the thing that makes you tick coming from something outside of jesus does your work make you tick does your wife or your husband make you tick does that boyfriend and girlfriend the thing that brings you pleasure and causes you to tick is it money? Is it pornography making you tick? Is it pornography that's bringing pleasure to your life? He's saying, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And you will love me with all of your heart. Your entire desire maker would prefer to do what I want. The soul, meaning our distinct identity or our individual personality, our individual personality and distinct identity should be actively choosing to do what the Lord prefers. Our mind, our faculty of understanding, of feeling, and desire, our thorough reasoning. Is your thorough reasoning in your own ways or trusting in your own stuff, or is your thorough reasoning, reasoning actively doing what the Lord prefers? Is Jesus in control of your thorough, thorough reasoning? Do you love Jesus actually means do you actively do what the Lord prefers? So that's the question that Jesus was asking Peter, and that's the question he's asking the church. He's asking the bride today, do you actively do what the Lord prefers? Because we can say we love Jesus, but then in the next sentence we say we love pizza and hot wings. We love Jesus. Oh, but I love the New England Patriots. I love the Rams, and I love Jesus. Jesus is talking about a love that is a lot greater in our language than being able to love the Rams or the Patriots or the Bucks or whoever or pizza or steak. He's saying, do you actively prefer, do you actively do what the Lord prefers? When he says, do you love Jesus? I run around with the guys all the time in the ministry and every day I'm like, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. But I think the greater question is, do we love Jesus? Because do Jesus loving you doesn't take you to heaven. Jesus loves everybody, and it's not his will that any should perish, but will some perish? Are some perishing? Have some perished? Do we love Jesus? Do we actively choose to do what he prefers? Because I love Carrie, there are things I do that she enjoys. My wife is named Carrie. She was actually, she's preaching at two services at our home church this morning, or else she would have loved to be here. Uh, but because I'm married and because I love my wife, I do things that I don't necessarily prefer, 
I actively choose to do things that she prefers. One of the things when we first met, I had been serving full-time at Loving Hands over five years. I'd been in the ministry like six years, and uh, she loved to go to movies. Well, I never watched movies. I didn't have time, I would say, or also our, our pastor didn't believe in movie theaters and thought they were, he was from the old school church, and uh, so like movie theaters were of the devil. But she enjoyed movies, so I began to go to these movies because I just wanted to be around her. Listen, guys. I just wanted to be around her, so I did the things she preferred. This is in relation to Jesus Christ. There are things we should be doing that he prefers that may not make us feel comfortable. It may not be what we enjoy at the time, but I would go to the movies because I preferred I loved her, so I actively chose to do what she preferred. And over time, I began to like movies. So as we spend time and do these things that we may not enjoy, they began to grow on us. And I actually began enjoying some of those movies. They were animated movies at that, which it was worse. Because I could, I could probably watch Thriller or like an action movie, but they were like animated movies, like kids' movies. But... Uh, <laughs> So what is it you do because Jesus enjoys it, although you may not enjoy or necessarily prefer to do it right now? Think of this. Think of this. What do I do that I do because I love Jesus with everything inside of me that I may not enjoy right now? I can promise you that some of those things, the more you do them to please the Father, to please Jesus, they will begin to grow on you. But for 2019, as we're setting goals and and making resolutions. What is our resolution for the Lord? I heard that if you make a goal, but you don't set a plan, it's really just a wish. If you make a goal or a resolution for 2019 without having a plan, it's really just a wish. And that's what it becomes when we lose all these resolutions. That's why you see the gyms empty by February. Everybody's going to go work out and get healthier, and then they quit because they don't have a settled plan. But what is the plan you're making to do with the Lord, to grow your relationship with the Lord so that you seek him more, that you go after him more? I can give you some things that Jesus enjoys, some things that Jesus tells his believers in Matthew 6. Things that he said, when you do these, these were not options. These were not options. I just, it was funny, I heard my wife, I was listening to her live stream right before I walked in, and she talked about these three things because we're on a 21-day fasting series at our church, and uh, the three things that Jesus talks about, when you give, do not let people see it. He says it again, when you give. Then he says, when you pray, do not stand in front of everybody and pray in front of them, and then he says again, when you pray, Go into the closet and shut the door behind you and pray to the Father who is in secret and the Father who hears in the secret will reward you openly. And then he says, when you fast. When you fast, wash your face. Don't go out there letting people know you've been fasting. And then he says again, when you fast. So Jesus calls us to giving, to praying, to fasting. And as Carrie said, those were the three things that were preached on the last three weeks at our church by our pastor. And Carrie said, those are the three things that we do not like to get rid of the most. Our money, our time, and our food. You take our money, our time, and our food away, and we are going to be some mad people. 
But Jesus said, if you are my disciples, these are things you're going to do. You're going to give of your money. You're going to want to give so that nobody goes without, goes without need. If, if you're my disciple, you're going to pray. You're going to pray to me a lot. You're going to pray alone in your closet when no one else is around, not just when you're driving down the street on the way to work or not just at corporate settings when you're at church, but you're going to go into your closet by yourself and spend time with me alone if you're my disciple. Then he says, if you're my disciple, you're going to pray. I mean, you're going to fast. Fasting is something that's very foreign to the church right now. It's foreign to the bride. But Jesus says, when you fast, like he doesn't say if you decide you want to fast because you want to be more spiritual than others or when the pastor fasts or when the deacons fast. He said, when you fast. And actually, he's talking to some of the religious leaders, the uh, legalistic people. They come to him at one point and they say, Jesus, why do we fast a lot? The religious hypocrites, why do we fast a lot and your disciples don't fast? You guys remember that? They're walking. Jesus says, that why would they fast when the bridegroom is still with them? There will come a time when the bridegroom is no longer with them. Then my followers will fast. Jesus said, when I leave and I go to heaven, then my people who love me and follow me will be fasting. They will be found fasting. And we see men of God and uh, people, even women of God, praying and fasting all throughout the Bible. We see God showing up and the Father intervening in people's lives because men and women of God were fasting. So it's something we're called to. It's not just like, oh, only sometimes we do it or, or ah, if you choose to do it. I honestly used to say, I heard a, somebody, a preacher, or read a book where someone said some people's body types are not set up for fasting. And I totally latched onto that because we can latch onto anything. We can find somebody that'll say something that'll appease our conscience. And somebody said that some people's body types are just not for fasting. And I convinced myself that that was me. I needed food because when I would fast, I would get a little upset. And then I'm like, oh, I don't want to lash out on this guy. You know, I don't want to be angry and sin, and it would be better for me to stop fasting and not sin than to fast and sin, but those are lies from the enemy. Fasting is something that Jesus invites us into. It's not a task. It's not something that's hard. It's Jesus literally saying, come and be with me. I will be with you. Come and be with me. Here is an invitation to fast to grow closer to me. Carrie enjoys, uh, another thing that Carrie enjoys to give you an example. So Carrie enjoys, I'm a task-oriented person. I was sing, you know, I wasn't married for a long time and then just got married two years ago, almost two years ago. Well, she enjoys at the end of the night laying in bed and talking for like 30 minutes. Like it's, it's, it's on average about 30 minutes. Well, in, in my head, I'm a task-oriented person. I plan things. And by 6 p.m., I already know what time I want to be asleep tonight because I know what I have tomorrow, and I have my whole schedule planned out pretty well. So I began having to plan that if I wanted to be in bed at 10, getting in the bed at 10 did not mean I was going to sleep at 10. And so because I love her, I actively chose to do what she preferred, and I didn't purposely ever fall asleep on her. I did fall asleep sometimes on her, but not intentionally. But then after last year... I, I fall asleep very easy, 20 seconds. I can say Jesus loves you, and then I'm asleep before, I, before she responds. But uh, so at the end of the year, I went, 
you know, I was struggling. I had a lot going on in my life. I was, it was hard for me to press into the Lord to spend a lot of quality alone time with him at the end of the year because everything that was going on and all the ministry responsibilities at work. And uh, I took a four-day uh, four my prayer retreat once a year where I leave my phone at home and I go by myself with no context so nobody can reach me to spend time with Jesus. And I came back and I knew one of the things I needed to do this year is I needed to spend 30 minutes before I went to sleep, plug my phone in into a different room, and spend 30 minutes with the Lord uninterrupted before I went to bed. That was part of my plan, and then the hour and a half in devotion in the morning. But because my wife wants me to spend time with her, and she would prefer to fall asleep with me in the bed, I actively chose to do what she preferred, and so I would lay in bed with her until she seemed satisfied and was looking tired and was ready to go to sleep, and then she would roll over, and then I would go spend my time with Jesus, because Jesus is waiting all the time. He doesn't sleep on us. Like, I mean, she's going to go to sleep at some point. She's not going to be ready to be up and talk at, like, 4 o'clock in the morning if I get up. But I actively chose to do what she preferred because I loved her, and then I went and spent my time with the Lord. Now, this always doesn't always work, and, I'll, and, I, and I'm trying to give you very literal examples that I notice in my life because this is how our relationship with Jesus is. Sometimes we don't remember that he's sitting right there with us, like he's sitting in this room right now. Like Jesus is present with us right now. And so I'm trying to share some literal examples. And so one of the things, uh, New Year's Eve with the Loving Hands guys, we bring them over to me and Carrie's house, and we let them hang out all day long, both campuses. We had about 30 guys there um, on uh, Christmas Eve. And so we're there all day, and which fall, fell on a Monday. And Monday I started picking up a hobby Monday evening because Carrie's normally out ministering down the street at her ministry, the front. And uh, so that's where I started going and play pickup basketball um, in Lakewood Ranch. So the guys are wrapping up. It's like 7 o'clock at night. The guys are wrapping up. In my head, I'm just like, oh, wow, this is wrapping up kind of early. It's perfect. Right after we get done and the guys all leave, we have a house to ourselves. My wife is an introvert, so she's ready to down, have downtime after having that many people interacting all day. So she's just going to chill, and I'm going to go play basketball. I had it already plotted in my head by 5 p.m. So the guys leave. And I'm like, all right, babe, I'm going to play basketball. And uh, she's like, oh, you are? Okay. And I, I don't even think about it because I didn't actively choose to ask what she preferred or anything. In that sense, how often do we do this with Jesus? We don't ask him first before we take a job. We don't ask him first before we get in a relationship with somebody. And so I go play basketball, and I get back, and I can tell, like, you can tell when your wife or your husband's a little upset. Something's bothering them. I hope so. You should be able to. If not, you need to be, there needs to be more intimacy there. And so I get back, and I'm like, oh, what's wrong? Like, oh, I can tell something's going on. Like, what's wrong? And like, oh, I just, I, I, I didn't know you were going to play basketball. Like, oh, oh. And I'm like, and then it dawns on me, it's Christmas Eve. Like, it, families usually spend Christmas Eve together. Now, if we had kids, I knew we would be opening, like, presents together. But it didn't dawn on me because I just began thinking about my own preference. And so I'm like, oh, it's Christmas Eve. Oh, did you want to do something? She had, in her mind, something already made up of, like, oh, we would do this together and, like, you know, this or whatever, and I don't even know she had it exact, but she hadn't vocalized it. I didn't stop to check what she preferred, and I just ran on doing my own thing. The Bible says that man will, uh, 
man will um, direct his steps, but God will direct his path. We'll try to just walk somewhere, and then God's like, that's not what I wanted. Did you ask me about that? But I found out real quick, oh, she wanted to do something. She had in her head family thinking, and I'm thinking myself thinking, I just want to go play basketball. And so this was one of those times where I didn't check, and I wasn't alert to it. And so many times we can be not alert to what Jesus wants. And so I want to begin to speak even more on seeking and the times that I've spoke here in the past, I've talked about resting in God, um, hungering after him, and a lot of secret place talk about spending intimate, alone, one-on-one time with Jesus. Intimacy means into me you see. When we have intimacy with Jesus, we're saying into me you see Jesus. And the thing is, he opens himself up so we can see into him and see what he wants. And if we spend intimate time with him, then we can catch those things like I caught of my wife, like, oh, She's not very happy right now. She wasn't mad. She wasn't throwing a temper tantrum, but I could read it on her face. She wasn't happy. There are things we do that we're not aware that Jesus is not too pleased with. What happened in New York this week? Do you think Jesus is pleased with that? There are things that we do sometimes or we allow to happen around us without seeking Jesus in the process. And once during um, a seven-day fast, Way back when I was in the program, it was a lot easier to fast in the program uh, when you were like, when they were like regimented all around you. But in the middle of a seven-day fast, I heard the Lord very clearly, not audibly, but very clearly. He spoke to my spirit. God speaks to us today, guys. If you're not aware, God speaks to us today very clearly. And he said, will you, we were in worship in the chapel. Jake might have been back, been there at that time. Um, But we were in the chapel and he said very clearly, will you not marry for me? Will you not marry for me? And I said, I knew right away what he meant. I said, if you won't take your love away from me, I won't. Because I just loved Jesus. And I heard it very clearly. It was like very clear. I didn't have to go get second, third, and fourth confirmations. I didn't have to say, have someone else talk about not getting married in the next chapel class. Like I knew without a shadow of a doubt. And I began walking my life really believing that I was never going to be married. That God was calling me to walk like as Paul without a wife, as far as we know, without a wife. And for, it was like three years, people would say, oh, well, maybe it's just in the future. I'm like, no, no, no. He said, will you not marry? He didn't say, will you not marry for three years? He just said, will you not marry? I was actively telling people like, no, no, the Lord's called me not to get married. And I was content with it. It wasn't easy, but I knew that's what the Lord wanted three years later. It was probably three years later. I was in devotion one morning reading uh, about Abraham and Isaac, and he very clearly Again, not audibly, but very clearly released me from that. And, and I began to see how he had asked Abraham to sacrifice his son. And Abraham took his one and only son that God had promised to him that he would bless the nations with that son, that nations would come out of that son. But God said, go sacrifice him. That's the one. And Abraham took what he loved, what he desired, and actively chose to love the Lord and do what the Lord preferred and began to place him on the altar. And before he could kill him, God stopped him. God already knew what he was going to do. He was doing it so Abraham could understand if he truly loved him, to see what was inside of Abraham's heart. And God released me from that. Um, I took off my dad's ring. My dad had passed away, and I began wearing it like a wedding ring uh, for years, just like so people would think that I might be buried. I didn't have to worry about anybody trying to approach me for a relationship. I just was like... 
nope. I took the ring off. I knew the Lord had just released me from that, and he's blessed me ever since. I have an amazing wife. But, but that was one of those things where the Lord asked me to do something that I did not prefer. I wanted to be married. It was in my heart's desires to be married. So what are the things that you do for Jesus that make you uncomfortable? All because you know he enjoys it. All because you know he's asking that of you. John 14, 21, it says, whoever has my commands and keeps them. Here we go again. If you love me, you keep my commands. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one I love. I, too, will love them and show or reveal myself to them. Jesus says, if you love me, which means you keep my commands, my instructions, then I will reveal myself to you. It's a promise right here in the word. Jesus' words. This wasn't even another author quoting what he said. This was Jesus. Proverbs 8.17 says, I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. God promises that if we will look for him, he will show up to us. That's what he's calling us to do. It's not an option like he's saying, come and find me. Come and seek me. Loving Jesus is directly correlated with seeking him. No seeky, no lovey. You don't seek, you don't really love. This is what his word says. Acts 17, 24 through 28. I didn't put this one on the screen. I read, I found this one popped up when I was in devotion and prayer this morning. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands. Jesus is not calling you. Jesus' greatest desire is not for you to do a lot of work for him, guys. This is the lie especially preachers get caught up in. Ministers of the gospel get caught up in. Jesus' greatest desire is not for you to serve him. Listen, he's called you friend, not servant. You are not slave. You are child. You are friend. God's greatest desire is that we would seek him. He is God. He doesn't need any man to serve him. He doesn't need that. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. It's God's appointed time and boundaries that you're sitting here at Bayshore Church in Bradenton, Florida, in the United States of America today. God appointed this time today. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. God created you to seek after him. He's looking down from heaven. It says in Psalm 53, this, this verse is a verse that's been speaking to me for months. It says, God looks down from heaven on the sons of men. For on all of creation and all of humankind, God looks down from heaven to see if there's any who understand, any who seek after God. Take this visual for a second. Close your eyes with me for a second. So picture, Jesus is up on the throne. God is on the throne. Angels bowing down in 24-7 worship, singing holy Holy, holy, glorifying the God who called for everything to bring him glory. And God gets up off the throne and moves some of the angels aside and parts them to look down on the earth 
to look down into Bradenton, Florida, to see if there are any who understand, any who will seek him. He's stopping everything going on to look down and see if there's anybody who will look after him. That's what God's called us to, is to seek him. It's powerful. It's a progressive seeking. You can open your eyes. I just wanted you to try to get a visual. God's really been rocking me on that. Like literally all of creation, he, he stops just to look, to see if Joe will look for him, to see if Ron will seek after him, to see if Bobby will seek after him, to see if Nick or Jake or Jenna, to see if we will look for him, if we will actively choose to do what he prefers to find him so that he can reveal himself to us. That's his desire. It's a progressive seeking. We should be seeking Jesus more today than the day when we first found him. Or should I say the day he first found us? And maybe we were super hungry back then and we were telling everybody about Jesus. But maybe the years of, years of bad things happening in our life, people passing away in our life, God not healing certain people when we thought he would. Maybe those things have hardened our heart. Maybe we've fallen from that first love and he's asking, come back, come back. You go to church on Sunday, you give in the offerings, you don't let the false prophets come into the church. That's what he said in the book of Revelation. But yet you've fallen from your first love. Repent and do those first works over again. Come back to me. My heart's desire is that you would walk with me from the beginning of time. His desire was that man would seek after him. We look at the, at the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, he created man. Man and woman, they sinned. And it says that Jesus began to walk in the cool of the day. And he asked a question. Do you remember what he asked? Where are you? He's God. He knows everything. He's asking them to ask themselves in their hearts. I created you to look for me. Now you're hiding from me. You're covering yourself with other things. Your, your delight, your, your, the things that make you tick are now leaves. You're putting leaves over yourself to cover yourself. Where, where are you? Jesus, God knew where they were. He was asking them to ask themselves. I'm not looking for you. I'm not looking for you, God. I'm hiding from you, actually. And there's people in here, I believe, that could probably say, I'm probably hiding from God right now. I may be hiding from God in the church because what happens is we put a mask on to make everybody around us think we're good. I see it in the pulpits. I saw it in my life for so long I would preach the gospel and I wasn't in my prayer closet seeking after him. We can get stuck in all this stuff. Oh, I'm doing busy things. I'm telling the lost about him. I'm, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm ministering to the youth. I'm showing up to church on Sunday morning. I'm giving in the offering. I'm doing all these things, but in my heart, I'm far from you, God. And all he's saying is, okay, cry out to me. Tell me that. And then we can say, oh, but he knows my heart. He does know your heart, just like he knew Peter's heart, just like he knew Adam and Eve's heart. But he's asking you to share your heart with him. Amen. Tell him where you're at so that he can come in and don't hide and cover it. And when we reveal that stuff to him, then he comes in and he begins to heal our hearts. Because his greatest desire, like I said, is that all of mankind would seek after him. From the time Adam and Eve had sinned, 
Jesus' plan was already in place. He, even before the foundation of the world, the plan of Jesus was already in place for the next 2,500 years was that Jesus would come so that man could be back, back in relationship with him and no longer separated. That's his greatest calling in our life. Psalm 34, David was a man, it says, after God's own heart. David knew what seeking the Lord was. He says, I seek you, Lord, in the morning. I seek you in the night watch. I seek you and pray to you three times a day. David was a man that was a nonstop. He was a prayer warrior. He says in Psalm 34, 8, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who seek the Lord will lack no good thing. David is saying David had an experiential relationship with Jesus, an experiential relationship with God, his creator. And God is calling us into an experiential relationship. You may think that God is a faraway God, but I can tell you God is in this room right now. And if you began to seek him, if you go into your prayer closet and really reveal your heart like we were talking about and you rip off the mask, he will manifest himself to you in ways you never could imagine. His desire is to show himself to you. We can believe that it doesn't exist. We can believe that that's not possible. That's not for today. But I can tell you right now, if you'll seek him, you'll find him. That's what the word of God says. It says in Jeremiah 29, 13. But let's look at taste and see. Taste actually means to experience. See means to perceive with eyesight. David was not just saying, see that the Lord is good because he rescued you from addiction. He's saying, come experience him. Taste. Taste is an experience. It's something gained by experience. Come and experience the Lord Jesus today, and your calloused heart will be made into flesh, and you will begin to love again, and the anger and the bitterness in your heart will be removed. I was a man full of anger. I would bash holes in walls and punch walls because I'd seen my dad do these things, and I was a man full of anger. I had fits of anger, fits of rage, where when I snapped, I couldn't even think straight. And sometimes I even enjoyed being in that mood when people would try to calm me down. I didn't want to be out of it. When God came in and saved my life, I'm telling you, he took my heart of stone, as Ezekiel said, and replaced it with a heart of flesh. And in the middle of a jail cell, not with a chaplain, not with a pastor, just with a bunch of other inmates, a couple of them that uh, were in there, one for attempted murder, one for actual murdering his own wife, in front of them, tears began to roll down my face because he began to reveal himself to me. And he took that heart of stone. He's saying, come and experience me today. I used to not seek him because, you know what? A year ago, I had gotten kind of, like I said, ministry's just been super busy. We do a lot of stuff at Loving Hands. Those of you, have no, those of you that know Loving Hands, I'm only 33. The ministry's 35 years old. We have multiple locations. We have work in the nation of India, and we're launching a new one in March. And there's guys with addiction in our program. They have problems. Have any of you dealt with someone with addiction? Imagine dealing with 25 to 30 of them. There's a lot of problems. And I quit really seeking the Lord. I'd do my 30 to 45 minutes devotion every morning. But it was dry as can be. It was so dry. And I would drive to these conferences all the way in Orlando because I saw these men that have tasted and saw that the Lord was good and they carried that presence because they had that secret place time and I desired it and I wanted it. And the Lord began speaking to me very clearly. You'll drive for a Sunday night service. You'll drive two hours to come sit in this place for two hours, hoping that you can experience and taste and see him again, and then drive two hours back in one evening. But you won't go sit in your quiet place for four hours. 
I'm in your quiet place. I'm not over there. I want you to just look for me. And I honestly, one day, I just, I didn't tell anybody. I told my wife, though, driving down the road, coming back from one of the meetings, I said, honestly, I've quit seeking him. I don't stay up all night. I've never stayed up all night in prayer because, honestly, I don't know if he'll show up. I don't know if I really even believe that he's going to show up anymore because my heart had gotten hardened and I wasn't experiencing him, the goodness of him, like it used to be. And I didn't know if he'd ever show up again. But God began to work on my heart and show that it's just a matter of seeking him. And now I can go in there and in 15 minutes sometime I feel his presence coming that fast within 15 minutes. And it's such a sweet, intimate time because I've just finally realized, like, God, that's all you want is me to want you. Not me to want to do work for you. Not me to want to do this for you. Not me to want to gain this. You just want me to want you. Period. Why do you think David's language about God was so descriptive? He learned how to find God and enjoy his presence. Psalm 23 says, you lead me by still waters. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. If this wasn't a God that was experiential, what is he talking about rod and staff? He saw something right beside him. He felt some kind of presence right around him that he could see that this guy's got a rod and a staff in his hand, and he's going to comfort me. He says, you prepare a table in the midst of my enemies. He's saying, you come and you manifest your presence right when I'm in the middle of the enemies to where you become more real than the problem in front of me. Listen, that's when we will experience God and his freedom is when his presence becomes more real than the obstacles and the problems in front of us, guys. That's what David was saying. You prepare a table in the midst of my enemy. You pour oil. Your oil runs down my head. You anoint me with oil. Like, what is he talking about? He must have felt something coming down and and warming up his body. He was experiencing God. Jesus prays for us in John 17. This is how I can promise you he will manifest himself to you if you seek him. You will feel his tangible presence, I promise. Father, I want those you've given to me to be with me where I am. And see, Jesus is now praying for the believers that are not yet there. He prays for the believers that he's already encountered, and he prays, now, Father, I'm praying for those that will come to me later, after his descent, after he's already went to heaven. I'm praying that those you will give me will be with me where I am, and they will see my glory. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known. He will continue. He tells Father, Father, you've revealed me to them, and you will continue revealing me to them. I will continually reveal myself to them even 2,000 years later until the day when I return and I bring them up to the wedding feast. I will continually reveal myself to them in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. Psalm 130, the other other writers of the Psalms, these, these writers of the Psalms, they encountered Jesus. They encountered the living God in their prayer closet. These guys, okay, here you go. Here's another one I didn't even have written down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They get thrown into a fire, and it says that they saw a man who looked looked like a man walking around in the fire with them. Even in the hardest time, the thing that should have killed them, Jesus manifests himself and walks in there with them. When they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke, it said. 
It said the fire was so hot that the people that threw the three men into the fire got killed because the incinerator incinerated them. Yet they were so close with the Lord because they sought after God on a regular basis. They're walking with Jesus. They felt him in that room. They didn't feel the heat. They didn't feel the hot coals. They felt Jesus' presence. What about when Stephen's being stoned? Another one I didn't put in there. Stephen is being stoned to death. Imagine stone after stone being thrown at you, bone after bone being broken until you're praying that one of the stones hits you in the head and knocks you unconscious because you are going to die from having stones thrown at you. Have you seen what they do to the, the, the women? And I believe it's the Muslim culture, what stoning really looks like. You ever seen a real picture where they bury them in a hole and just their heads sticking out of the hole and then they throw stones at them? Like, think of that. Stephen's being stoned to death and it says he looks up to heaven and Jesus is standing. Where is Jesus right now? Sitting at the right hand of God. But he saw Jesus who loved him I mean, Jesus saw Stephen who loved him and had such a close relationship. It says now he was standing. I believe when his son, Stephen, began to be stoned to death to bring glory to Jesus because he had such a great relationship with him, I believe Jesus stood up and like, that's my son. Because it says he saw him standing, not seated on the throne, and he began to sing. He died in the presence of Jesus. Jesus was literally present with him when he died to the point of he may not even have felt the pain. In the book of Psalm 130, it says, I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchmen wait for the morning. The watchmen that are waiting all night for the morning to come, to get off their shift, to whatever. He said, my soul waits for you more than even them. Psalm 132, another psalmist. This isn't even David, as far as we know. I will not enter my house. Remember, if we love Jesus, we actively do what he prefers over what we prefer. That's love. This psalmist says, I will not enter my house or go to my bed, which is comfortable. I will not allow sleep to my eyes, no slumber to my eyelids, till I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. He's saying that I will not, ex I will not enjoy the comforts of this world until I find somewhere for your presence to abide with me on a regular basis. That your presence would be there with me because I love you. And so the question I asked at the beginning, do you love Jesus? Do you actively do what Jesus prefers? Do you actively do what Jesus prefers? Do you actively do what Jesus prefers? Jesus asked Peter that three times. This is what I was, like, I've got to ask myself this. 1 Samuel 13, 14. We're going to go into a time where I really want you to begin reflecting on the Lord. And you can close your eyes if you want. And if you feel led to come to the altar, I'm not going to pray for you or pray with you, I mean. Um, but really to seek the Lord. I think he's going to, Ron, you're going to start playing that for me, please. But this song, you guys know the song, The More I Seek You? The more I seek you, I'm not going to sing, I can't sing. The more I find you, the more I find you, the more I love you. The more I seek you, the more I find you. The more I find you, the more I love you. If we want to love Jesus more, we've got to seek him. That's, that's how it works. 
Jesus came to the men in Matthew, I think it was 24, we were talking about sometimes we do all these Christian things with a mask on because we're hiding inside of our hearts that we're not close to the Lord. And there are men that came to Jesus and said, I cast out demons in your name. I prophesied in your name. I went to church in your name. I tithed in your name. And he's going to say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I knew not you. I did not know you. Epigonosco. That's the Greek. That's an intimate knowing. I spent time with you, Jesus. He's going to say, you did all these things. You built all these kingdoms for me. But you didn't spend any time with me. David begins to share. This is what God said to Saul in 1 Samuel 13 through 14. Saul was the king before David. God said to Saul, but now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought after man after his own heart. Saul quit chasing after the Lord. Saul quit seeking after the Lord. And he says, now your kingdom must end. For the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. A man that's truly seeking him. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people. Because you've not kept the Lord's commands. You have not kept the instructions that was given. You quit seeking me. David knew God's heart. David knew what God's desires were. God knew, David knew that God's desires was that we would seek him and spend time with him. Psalm 24, David says, such is a generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God. What would America look like if we became that generation that sought after God? What would America look like if we became the ones that sought after him? That the church rose up and began to pray. First Chronicles 7:14, I think it is. It says, those who will seek me, repent of their wicked ways, and turn to me, I'll heal their land, guys. What would happen if we became that generation that was seeking after him with everything inside of us? Last scripture I want to read is David talking to his son Solomon, his successor, the next king coming up. David said, David was a man that knew, the, knew God's heart. He knew what God desired, and he's given instructions to his own son. He says, as for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of our father and serve him wholeheartedly and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. There again, serve him wholeheartedly with a willing mind. There's that love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind. He says, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. Listen, guys, this is, G this is David speaking. He was a man after God's heart. He says, if you seek him, you'll find him. If you don't seek him and reject him, he'll reject you forever. That sounds like a salvation issue right there. Literally, he's saying, if you don't seek after me, he will reject you. You seek him, you find him. If you don't seek him, he'll reject you. Forsaking him is not seeking him, guys. There, there, there are two sentences back to back, English language. What, this one is repeating what this one's saying. If you seek him, you'll find him. But if you forsake him and you don't seek him, he will reject you forever. God is calling us to come after him with our whole heart. I'm telling you, he'll bring healing in your heart. He'll bring healing in your mind. 
He'll bring healing in your family. That's why at Loving Hands we see so many men whose families are restored when they come to Loving Hands because they began to seek after God's heart. They began to seek after the Lord wholeheartedly. That's when the Lord set me free, when I surrendered my will to him. And so we're going to go into a time of prayer and just ask the Lord, what are some things that I can set? What are plans? Make a plan. Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm going to fast one day a month. Lord, I'm going to do this. Lord, I'm going to spend this much time with you then. Because he's asking, do you love me? Do you actively choose to do what I prefer? And so I'm going to pray. And if you want to come up here and pray and just seek the Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you love me. Thank you, Jesus, that we find you when we seek after you, God. We worship you, Lord. Can you restart that, Ron, please? We want to seek after you so that we can love you, God. I thank you that your word does not return void, Jesus. And although unbelief may be in my heart at times, to think that if I search for you, I will not find you, I thank you that your word holds true and you love us that you seek after us, that you're literally looking down from heaven to see if there's anyone that would look for you. So come minister to our hearts this morning, God. Speak to our hearts. Show us areas where we're really not seeking after you. Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, help us to love Jesus more today than we did yesterday. Let us seek you more today than we did yesterday. Father, I pray, Holy Spirit, you would just fall in this place, that you would even fall on Pastor Tony and Joy and those kids, that as he's spending this time with you, God, you'll do things in his heart that no man could ever do. Not the conference, but you alone, Jesus, would just minister to his heart, bring restoration, bring healing, God, bring rest. Help him to rest in you, Lord so that he can lead the body like you've designed him to. And I just pray a special grace over this congregation that you would draw them deeper than ever before, right here in the heart of Bradenton, in the heart of all this brokenness, that Bayshore would be a place that seeks after your heart, God, that Bayshore would be a place that people would see as a beacon of light in this community, that as they seek after you, you would begin to even grow them exponentially in the spirit realm. Not numbers, not finances, God. But that you would grow them spiritually. That men and women would continue to go out of here ministering on the streets like Pastor Tony. That the lost would come in and see this place as a church that's not going to judge them for what they look like. But that's going to love them and bring them into your presence, God. So let your presence abide in this place more than ever before, Jesus. As we seek your face, God. Bring healing to hearts in here right now. Those that are hardened, Holy Spirit, fall in here now. Holy Spirit, fall and soften those hardened hearts. Those that are bound with forgive unforgiveness, bring healing right now through your presence, Jesus. Those that need healing in their body, God, as they seek after you, bring healing. Touch their bodies. We love you, Lord. We love you, Holy Spirit. Work in our hearts. Draw us deeper to you, Father.